Hello and welcome to the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. This is the show where we talk about all things transportation, anything that gets you from here to there. I'm the traffic anchor and the transportation reporter for Denver 7 News, Jason Luber. And if you would like to uh, contact me, if you would like to uh, send me a question, a comment, a concern, you can always contact me on any of the contact links in the description of this fine program. We all know about gasoline and diesel and maybe electricity and how it is used to power our vehicles. But do you ever think about propane? Maybe just for your grill or patio heater or when you see a forklift at the furniture warehouse, right? Well, propane is an option for trucks and buses and and actually uh, passenger vehicles as well. And I wanted to learn more about it. So to speak more about all of the things that propane does is Tucker Perkins, the president and CEO of the Propane Education and Research Council. He's also host of the Path to Zero podcast that you can find on just about any podcast app. Tucker, thanks so much for being here on the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. Jason, it's really good to be with you today. I'm looking forward to talking about some of the things you just opened with. Excellent. Well, and Tucker, after graduating from Virginia Tech, even though you don't have a Virginia Tech accent, did you ever think, I'm going to make a living uh, talking and promoting propane gas? No, I think think actually I thought I'd be in the energy space, but I would never have thought that the energy space would get to where it is today, that, you know, what we had done for 100 years, and it really doesn't matter whether you sold natural gas or propane or diesel fuel or electricity, that we would be on the on the cusp of this transformation as we sit here in 2023. It's been it's been a fascinating journey, and our industry is really approaching, I think, this whole transformation differently than many. And I'm proud to be a part of. Because the interesting thing about propane is that everybody knows about it when it comes to their grill or the patio heater or, or something like that. But many don't know it as really a power source. For vehicles, maybe like I said, uh, when they're at their furniture warehouse or, or if they work in a warehouse, they can see a forklift driving on propane. What are all some of the things that are pro, uh, powered, some of the vehicles that are they're powered by propane? And I do think that that's probably, I, I don't have a frustrating job at all. I love what I do, <laughs> but that is the frustrating part that so many people say, as we're talking to them about what propane can do in the future, they're like, I only think of propane as a fuel for my grill. They don't realize that today a million farms are relying on propane to heat grain, keep animals warm. And if you were to ride in any vehicle just about in Turkey or Poland or large parts of Europe, they would already be fueled with propane. People who went to the Olympics in Tokyo rode in the most progressive LPG hybrid taxis. So combination of electric and propane. So in America, we fuel about 65,000 vehicles on the road today. Not that many passenger cars, but if you ride in a taxi cab in Detroit or Las Vegas, highly likely that those vehicles are also powered by propane. But it, but it's it's a unique fuel because it, most people are comfortable with it around their homes. And, and it's also one of the few burnable fuels that you will see used in indoor equipment. Right. If you were a contractor... Uh, building, for example, Walmart distribution warehouses. It would be what you. It would be the fuel you choose because you're working indoors and you need a fuel that's clean, right? You need something that burns very clean. So it's standard. There's a show coming out very soon. World of Concrete will be in Las Vegas, and it's the standard fuel as people are working indoors to build warehouses. 
Walmart to clean their floors, to polish their floors. Very, very conventional use of it. And now we finally get to have the conversation about how can we use this fuel that we've known for years to power farms and grills and provide heat or hot water. But now how can it move us forward to have a cleaner climate? Uh, but there always is that odd smell to when it is burned in, in, in a a forklift or, or whatever. I, I can still smell it now. I used to work in a warehouse and I, I, can, I can just smell it right now. Interesting. And yeah, that, that, that smell, I would say, if you went to a warehouse today, you would find that a forklift of today is such a more finely tuned machine. That smell is probably not there. But again, people using it every day in food service and indoor warehouses, it really is the fuel of commerce. We, we'll talk later perhaps yeah. about ports, but you know, a great alternative to diesel fuel, but now a fuel we find in ships as ships needed to find a cleaner fuel. So Really, the transformation for us is actually amazing. My guest is Tucker Perkins. He's the president and the CEO of the Propane Education and Research Council. He's also the host of his own podcast called Path to Zero, where you can learn more about all of this propane uh, equipment. And, and you mentioned some of the vehicles that are powered by propane, a few passenger cars, but but it's mostly fueling trucks and buses and 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 those sort of things, right? And, and, and but, but you, you're burning the gas. You're not really uh, creating like, like hydrogen powered vehicles. They are using uh, the hydrogen to create electricity and, and then propel the vehicle that way. You're actually burning the gas. That's true. And so we do have some of those more technology, sexy things like propane fuel cells. We're introducing them now and we, you'll see that over time, but you're right for, for us, right, today, and I love to talk about the immediacy of acting today, right? Yeah. These fleets that we work with want to lower the greenhouse gases. They want to cut costs. They want to have a cleaner footprint, and they can do that by migrating from diesel or gasoline to propane. And a lot of a lot of fleets, I'm always proud to talk about, you have several fleets in Denver that have yeah. been you know, leading advocates. But anywhere people are using diesel fuel, we offer a cleaner safer alternative in choosing propane. And, and is that the major advantage to propane over gasoline or diesel fuel that it is cleaner burning? That's certainly the major advantage for someone looking to talk about their emissions reduction. Uh, the dirty secret, the hidden secret behind that is in most of these fleets, it can save them half of the operating cost. And we've been tracking this for years. So let's talk about school buses as a great example. School buses have been around on propane for probably 15 years. When we started with school buses, it was strictly about emissions reduction. We needed to have a cleaner fuel. In fact, in Boston, the superintendent just saw the filth of emissions uh, from the diesel buses, knew that the students deserved a better choice. And there we went to propane because we can cut NOx emissions by 97 percent, particulate emissions by 99.9% greenhouse gases by 15 or 20%, it was a cleaner fuel. But once we'd done that for two or three or four years, we realized something else. School systems were saving 50% on their operating costs per mile. And while I love to talk about saving UPS or FedEx or Frito-Lay money, pretty important when we can save a school district half of their operating cost. In fact, we did a quick study if we took all of the diesel school buses and moved them to propane, the savings could put 23,000 new teachers into the classroom. Oh. It gives you an, an idea of the order of magnitude of savings. So the, these propane-powered 
buses and other vehicles. Uh, are, so is it, and you're saying it's then less expensive to run. So what's the comparison? Most people know what a gallon of gasoline costs. So what is the comparison uh, equal unit in LPG? And how far can you go on that equivalent? Let's say a gallon of gas gets me this far. What does a, a pound of LPG get me and how far can I go? And the cost comparison between the gallon of gas and, and the, and the uh, propane. Yeah, most fleet managers, we talk with most fleet managers about cost per mile. And so I was actually just looking at some fleets uh, last week. Those fleets were, their diesel cost were a dollar a mile. Their propane fleet was costing them 50 cents per mile. We That's, that's a fairly typical uh, relationship that we see. Most fleets, whether they're choosing gasoline or diesel, when they migrate to propane, they save 50% in their cost per mile. The other thing that I love to talk about, because again, 10 years ago, that's that's what we talked about. You should convert your fleet from diesel to propane because you'll save money. Now we want to talk about what how they better the environment. And they better the environment several ways, right? Reduce greenhouse gases, that's one. They improve the community's health by cutting those NOx emissions, which are bad for plants and lungs. And then lastly, they remove particulate matter, which is a known carcinogen. So not only do they save money, not only do they cut greenhouse gases and, and better the climate, they also make the air healthier for you and I. I. I imagine, as I'm speaking with Tucker Perkins, the president and CEO of the Propane Education and Research Council, of using propane for a vehicle, especially a passenger vehicle, would be there are very few fueling stations for the public. Now, the like a, a fleet, a, a school system, they can set up their own fueling system, have the big propane tank and fuel up their buses. But for the average person, if you're going to try to get, or, or the uh, automakers, if they wanted to get into the propane fueling business, I mean, really, there's really nowhere to, to, to fuel it up. Interesting. Like I said, if you go to Turkey or Poland, uh, parts of Japan, being having a passenger car fueled on propane would be a very standard thing. It's just not something, it, it was a time. In fact, Denver is still a place where I suspect you and I could spend a couple hours on the road. And I tell, I would point out to you quite a few propane-powered pickup trucks or cars. But yet, it's not what we advocate for. A, a large part of it is just that automakers in Detroit, uh, you know, vehicles today are really sophisticated. And uh, they change, those those specifications change so quickly. We had, We really work with fleets, fleets that are driving Big trucks, heavy payloads, long distances, people that are delivering bread and flowers and butter, you know, right in your community, delivering students or people in the airport. Th those are the fleets because they're doing three things. They're driving long distances. They get pretty poor fuel mileage. So there we have a really good opportunity. To your point, though, centralized fueling was what we talked about two or three years ago. But as we really get more and more propane vehicles on the road and infrastructure is so simple to install, so inexpensive to install that you, for example, we work on a network in California, quite easy to go from Southern California to the very Northern tip uh, and find public refueling stations all along the way. But again, not, we don't really aim this business for consumers. This is aimed at fleets. Yeah. Cause it, it seems like there's a bias at least in, in in Detroit, with the push to battery-powered vehicles right now, 
it, it is there is a push to try to get more charging stations out there. They just installed one at the Seven Eleven just down the street from me, but it is slow in uh, in taking in taking hold across the country. And I think that's one of the problems with folks wanting to buy an electric car. It's probably one of the reasons I think that folks are not buying hydrogen cars as well because there's no there's really no great network to fuel up hydrogen, even though that's a great technology. Could it be the same with propane? Yeah, it's it's big into fleets, but if it does burn a lot cleaner than, than some of these other alternatives, then why is there a bias against propane and expanding it in more passenger vehicles? Well, I think you've just hit on the complexity of all of it. And I think as somebody who's been doing this for 20 years, it really is about that infrastructure. And can can a consumer feel comfortable that they could leave Denver at midnight tonight on their way to visit their mother or friends in Seattle, and would they be able to fuel as comfortably as they do with gasoline? And I think the answer is it's all about gasoline stations today yeah. for, for consumers. Um, we do work clearly with fleets, and I think that's been the barrier to EV adoption is that people have such range anxiety. I do think if we skate forward 10 years, people in their consumer lives driving their passenger cars will either choose a battery electric vehicle, uh, a gasoline vehicle, or my choice probably would be a hybrid vehicle, right? Probably offers the best of both worlds. And we really believe that's the technology of the future. Where we tend to focus because it, it's where we can actually save fleets money. Saving fleets money is very important. The cost of a package delivered to our house is very important to not only UPS and FedEx, but it's important to us. But giving them uh, all of the range and power and payload capabilities that they need, that's where we tend to focus propane. And again, if we look forward five or 10 years, I think the two fuels that will be dominant in transportation will be propane or battery electric. Oh, interesting. Because uh, I think there's a bit of a large push for hydrogen to get that going, and and it seems like you could do the same. Hydrogen is great for trucks and long distance. You don't worry about the range anxiety with the hydrogen. You are powered basically by electric because the hydrogen is creating electricity uh, for the electric motor in a truck especially. Uh, Since we're not going to get a Hyperloop anytime soon, it seems like uh, those are going to be some of the better options. Yeah, and you've you know you talked about hydrogen. I think hydrogen has such beautiful advantages, and it's really been something that all of us have studied for years. I think hydrogen still is very expensive today, and I think even if you look forward five or ten years, it will still be expensive, and it's really at high pressures. So, to your point, the infrastructure will probably be probably be the barrier to developing a true hydrogen network. Now, again, as I as I look out twenty or thirty years. I think all bets are off. And today's government is really active in pursuing hydrogen. I would tell you we're we're in the most exciting project I think I'm involved in where we use propane as a carrier of hydrogen. And so you're, you're beginning to see some, some deployments like that. I do agree. Hydrogen has these beautiful benefits. But again, as you were talking about, I would love to see people act today. Let's don't wait two decades till we have this hydrogen infrastructure fully deployed. We can cut greenhouse gases today by moving from diesel to propane. My guest is Tucker Perkins, president and CEO of the Propane Education and Research Council. He's also host of his podcast called The Path to Zero. Uh, you can find it on any podcast app. Uh, you, you, you mentioned that the bus in the bus fleet, I, I was just thinking as, as we were talking a moment ago about the buses, 
and we have one bus in our school system uh, that runs on natural gas. What what's the difference between or the is there a what the advantage disadvantage between a natural gas bus and a propane bus? Would it be better for the school district to have had a propane bus instead of the natural gas? Well, actually, if you were just to measure what's coming from the tailpipe, both natural gas and propane feels about the same for the emissions. Emissions are so much cleaner than diesel. Um, why natural gas hasn't been very prevalent for vehicles is, again, natural gas is stored as a gas, very high pressure, relatively expensive to make all that happen, where propane gives you the same benefits uh, at a much lower cost, a lower initial cost, a lower operating cost. And lastly, people don't realize it, propane doesn't contain any methane. So uh, a lot of advantages of using propane even over natural gas. If you were to go today, a lot of fleets, I love to talk about UPS. Yeah. UPS has got, in fact, my my fleet in Virginia, they do have some natural gas vehicles. But school transportation has been largely uh, propane because of the ease of using it, the relatively low cost of the infrastructure. But I thought I read somewhere that propane is less stable than either natural gas or gasoline. And it doesn't sound like that's true. No, that's not true at all. In fact, I'd say propane is more stable. One of the one of the interesting things we've done is actually propane is often used, as you would know, I think, in backup generation. So yeah. power generators at your house, but power generators in industry. And, and, you know, one of the troubles with diesel or gasoline is they will weather out. If you store a long time without using them, they're not really useful after a time. We had, when Superstorm Sandy came through the Northeast, some of those generators use propane that was 20 and 30 years old. Propane is very stable, and that's one of the beauties of it, actually. Are these propane vehicles more or less expensive to maintain or find people to maintain them, or do you have to have specialty mechanics to be able to work on them and, and, and I guess, have these mechanics just working for a UPS or the school system that are, are maintaining these fleets? Well, certainly they need to be trained in how to work on propane. A few things different than working with gasoline or diesel. But again, people who aren't really seeing these uh, businesses evolve, a diesel engine today is so complex, right? The emissions treatment systems for diesel or gasoline, it's really complex. That Those complex systems don't exist on propane vehicles. We're able to get the same emissions, or in many cases, improved emissions with a much simpler after treatment. So you do have to be a trained a trained mechanic. Uh, one of the things we work diligently on is making sure we have the training out there. But I would argue it's much simpler to work on a propane vehicle than either a gasoline or a diesel. Not because of the base engine being more complex, but the after treatment systems. And if you just let me go as a guy who spends a lot of time with Cummins and other engine manufacturers and looking ahead to 27 or 2030, these new emissions regulations, the emissions regulations for 27 and 2030 are extraordinarily complex. Um, and we're, we're already see that we'll meet 27 emissions regulations with the simplistic systems we're using today. And maybe that's one of the other problems with uh, having passenger vehicles uh, widespread using propane gas is that it's not like I can go to my uh, local mechanic right down the road or the dealership and, <laughs> and work on a propane car. It's just I don't think they're set up for that sort of thing. 
Well, we are trying to get to that point. I think because, you know, again, technology has evolved. So uh, with computers and data centers, you know, we can pipe right in training centers for mechanics and they can see in real time what they need to do. We're really there now, Jason. I think, again, a mechanic who's capable of working on today's gasoline or today's diesel system with just enough training as to what's different, they can easily work. And by the way, the test equipment is the same. Uh, uh, equipment is one of the things we work with for a, a shop to be able to work on propane that's currently working on diesel or gasoline. They don't really need new equipment. Interesting. That's really interesting. My guest is Tucker Perkins. He's the president and the CEO of the Propane Education and Research Council. Uh, can you run? Uh, we, we've seen a lot of cold weather across the country. It's obviously the middle of winter right now. We, I've seen it. it my, my father used to have when I was growing up, we had a diesel uh, Cadillac and, and he'd have to plug it in, plug in the glow plug. And, and we've seen the plugs for the diesel to warm them up in the cold weather. Um, can, can you run? A propane-powered vehicle in all weather? Are, are they practical here in Colorado where, where it can get cold and snowy or in Arizona where it can get to be 110 plus in the summer? Well, the good news is today, this morning, we're running vehicles in both Arizona and Alaska. <laughs> um, I would say propane loves cold weather. And I think in our performance, so there's nothing too cold for propane. Uh, we, we like that cold weather. If we had an Achilles heel, it's at 120 degrees in Phoenix in the dead of July on that black asphalt. Um, but the good news is we run vehicles uh, in Phoenix on the hottest day in the summer, and we're running them in Alaska on the coldest day you're going to deliver in 2023 and 24. And, and propane is, is a byproduct of natural gas processing, right? So with the push to reduce all fossil fuels, including natural gas in, in years in the future, doesn't that mean it will be the end of propane, right? And all things that rely on it, like my patio heater? Well, this, this is the conversation I'm looking forward to having now, because to your, to your first point, you're right. America makes more propane than anywhere else in the world by far. We're the Saudi Arabia of propane. And today we're sending that propane to almost every continent in the country, in the world. Propane does come from natural gas, but I think if you even think through this energy transformation 20, 30, 40 years, while we talk about using less natural gas and perhaps to heat your home or heat your water, uh, most everyone agrees that natural gas is going to be here for a long time, for power generation, for industry, for those heavy industries that are really hard to decarbonize. Natural gas is a much better choice than using coal, oil, diesel fuel. So I do believe that natural gas will be here a while. Therefore, propane will be here a long, long time. And if you and I had a deeper conversation around energy independence, energy security, particularly as we think about it as Americans, we would really want to have propane fueled things because it's so secure. But let me go to the next step. We, we I was in a really nice meeting in California about six or seven years ago, having somewhat the same conversation we've had now into the ports and making the pitch that we could reduce emissions by 30% from some of the equipment the ports were using, save them money along the way. And, you know, the heads of the environmental groups in California said, but what's your path to zero? Hence the name of our podcast. Right. 
And I, I reiterated my point. We can save, we can do it today. We can cut your greenhouse gas emissions today. And they said, once again, a little bit more sternly, well, what's your path to zero? We took that to heart. So today uh, we were making renewable propane, very low carbon, nearly zero carbon renewable propane, the way we make renewable diesel or some places renewable aviation fuel, which we call sustainable aviation fuel. Fast forward now, we actually have expanded that. And again, today we're making renewable propane from plants and oils. Camelina plant uh, grown in some cases in the grasslands of Colorado uh, can be easily converted to renewable propane with a carbon intensity that's so low, it's cleaner than the electric grid in 49 of our 50 states. So to your original question, do we think that propane will be will go the way of the dodo bird sometime in the future? I would probably say yes, but I think that future is so far out, 2050, 2060, 2070. We, we have a lot of benefit we can do today, but I think that void will be, will be filled by renewable propane, which is coming from waste streams of natural gas emissions, uh, landfills, uh, the grasslands of Colorado, as we think about plants crushed to oils. We, we are doing so many exciting projects, some of them right there in Colorado with the Colorado State University, thinking about how the fuels of the future will look. Quite comfortable that zero carbon or negative carbon renewable propane will be around for a long, long time. Because you mentioned what, what, what struck me about your, your discussion there was that you said near zero. Your path to zero was getting to near zero, but near zero is not zero. And that's what a lot of folks in California want, total zero. And it seems like uh, that, that you're, you're trying to get there, but, tw but, but 2050 is only 25 years away. Uh, and, and so, you, so I, it's, I think their path to zero is, is more, it, they want it quicker than what technology and what industry can handle at this point. Without any question, California is pushing the envelope to, to your point to move things faster than industry wants to many cases than industry can actually do, but I don't want to, I don't want to gloss over your original statement. People can talk about near zero all they want or zero, but, and we talk about an electric vehicle being a zero emissions vehicle. Quite clearly, it's zero emissions at the tailpipe. A vehicle is not zero emissions, and we know that now. Mm -hmm. it's, it's emitting paint emissions and rubber emissions and brake parts are flying off. There's no such thing as zero emissions yeah. even at rest, but let's say it is. But they forget the other half of that equation producing power, transporting power, using power to charge batteries, making batteries. And I think for all of us in the scientific field, if you would, it's quite frustrating to use that word zero emissions because we are all, in fact, breathing the full equation. We can ignore half of that equation, but it still sits in the valley of L.A. So when I talk to you about near zero, we wish everyone was on the same mathematical scale. But to your point, we were quite clear five years ago, we weren't sure that we could get to a true zero. And most people would say zero is really hard to attain. As we've really worked through these pathways of the future, and we see about the carbon benefit of actually doing something like capturing carbon and, and doing something with it or capturing methane that's escaping 
out of a landfill, we realize that negative is quite possible. And I think that's, for all of us, that's the holy grail. To take a waste product, escaping into the air, convert it into a usable product called renewable propane. Uh, and in some of the pathways we're working on right now, the carbon intensity is quite negative. Are all those processes going to change the price? Because I can go right down now to my local hardware store, pick up a uh, you know a, a tank of propane for twenty bucks. Is is the price going to change by changing the way that you're collecting the propane? This is where I may be one of the most practical guys you'll ever speak to in this field, <laughs> because we we are the first to acknowledge price really matters. Yeah. And we can have all of these great, sexy, innovative uh, technologies, but if they're too expensive, then they're not going to be adopted. And so for us, price has been critical as we think through things. Clearly, renewable propane will cost more than conventional propane. It should. It takes more, it takes more effort. Um, it's a newer technology. But what we've found is these prices have to be within 10% of the conventional product or consumers just won't adopt it. And it's a, I mean, I think it's a critical lesson as we see even in electric vehicles, or you keep talking about hydrogen vehicles, very expensive. So let's go back to school buses for just a moment. Uh, a propane school bus is about at parity with a diesel or gasoline school bus. Uh, an electric school bus can be three times as expensive for the climate. It doesn't really matter whether you choose propane or electric. What really matters is that we get rid of diesel as fast as we can. And this is something we talk about all the time with fleet managers. The barrier then is the fact that uh, you can, for three times the amount of money you using choosing propane, you can move away from your diesel fleet. Classic example. And again, you don't talk about this very much. Price really matters. Yeah. Cost is important. Cost isn't only matters to UPS or your school systems or HyPro that's delivering the mail in and around Denver every day. Cost really matters to us as consumers who have to pay for those ultimate things. And so love, love your question and completely agree. And as we look at technologies, we think about can we get them to scale and can we get them to cost? That's one of the beauties as we think about transportation by substituting propane in lieu of diesel, we can cut emissions, we can improve our health, and we can cut costs. It's it's way better. Do it today. Just stop thinking about it. Do it today. But as we think about renewable propane, we know we have a, quite a ways to A, get it at volume and get it at a cost that consumers really want to use. Because as I'm thinking about renewable propane, I'm also thinking about all the folks that live in the rural areas, not only in my state, but in Texas and Oklahoma and Kansas and across the country. They have their big tank outside where they're using propane to heat their home or or cook their food. And are they going to be able to afford renewable propane is there going to be enough output from landfills and from these other and from the uh, hay fields of colorado to create the same amount of renewable propane as you can create now using natural gas and petroleum certainly not and i think that you, you I, I love your your line of thinking because it's one of the things and by the way let's expand that just to be a little bit even more cumbersome Let's think about those competition for feedstocks as we're thinking about renewable diesel 
and sustainable aviation fuel and now renewable natural gas. So we think we have to think about these feedstocks. To all of those consumers of propane you just spoke to, we would certainly encourage them to continue to use conventional propane. By the way, much cleaner than their other choices in most every case. Much cleaner than choosing electricity. Much cleaner than choosing heating oil or some other wood, for example. So continue to do the right thing by choosing propane. But again, so you and I are having conversations that are really decades out. Today, though, let's let's focus on today. In places like California, Washington, Oregon, perhaps Idaho, we are seeing renewable propane be adopted because legislatively they're demanding it, right? Um, I, I think as we think about renewable propane right now, we love to talk about these hard to decarbonize areas, areas that you keep going to that hydrogen grab bag. Yes. But again, hydrogen is going to be quite expensive, right? And it may not be that green unless we're very clear about where that hydrogen came from. We can use renewable propane in lieu of diesel or even lieu of renewable diesel to make a significant benefit at a cost still cheaper than those consumers would have had to choose. Our conversation, Our conversation. is pretty much U.S. centric, maybe Canada, maybe some of the uh, more developed parts of the world. There's a lot of parts of the world that are not going to go green, if you will. Uh, there's a, a lot of parts of Africa that are still going to be driving their Toyota trucks and using gasoline. Is 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 are, are these conversions into the the path to zero more just for the developed countries, or is this a worldwide push? And and, and could it go worldwide? No, it will go. It not could it go worldwide? It will go worldwide, and. You are exactly right. The conversations we're having, as my primary focus is on residents in the United States, right? And again, how do we use propane in the United States to be the most efficient and wise for not only consumers, but for the climate, the planet? But I would love to be in charge of this transformation in some of these other countries. And Africa immediately comes to mind. Uh, there you have about a billion people that don't have access to electricity, uh, at all, right? And so, and and they do. They they use a lot of heavy oils. We can and we can and are in fact working with them to have them stop cooking with coal, charcoal, wood, dung. Uh, people don't realize it, but about uh, four million people die every year from indoor air pollution, and it comes from cooking their food on coal, oil, wood, dung. We're, we're working actively with the United Nations, with countries in and around Africa, to see that they begin cooking with a cleaner fuel, conventional propane. In fact, just, just a couple of weeks ago, I had an African uh, leader say, I don't need you talking about renewable propane. We aspire to use conventional propane. That's our, that's our holy grail for now, because it would be so much cleaner. Clearly, there is an application to use propane to produce power, to run vehicles, uh, and to replace diesel fuel. And we are beginning to see it uh, in all parts of the world. It, it is something that I'm actually quite active in only because I am active in technology development around the world. So because of that, we're active with the United Nations. United Nations talks about their sustainable development goals. Uh, we are active participants with them in as many as seven of those, but mainly around clean cooking and clean power generation would be two 
large ones. So, so to get the nat or the uh, propane to uh, Africa, can you can you ship it? Can can you manufacture it? And put it on a boat and and then send it over there, or do you have to have the manufacturing equipment and infrastructure to then refine it and then distribute it in parts of Africa that want it? Yeah, you and I, I probably should have had this conversation early on because you were talking about the comparison propane to natural gas. You know, natural gas, you read a lot in the papers about liquefied natural yeah. gas, right? And how we get it in ships. One of the beauties of propane is easy to liquefy, easy to transport. And so let me say, as you and I are talking today, ships are loading in Houston and uh, out of Canada, and they are headed to Japan. They are headed to Africa. They are headed to Asia. And they are headed to Europe. Uh, so propane, in fact, people never realize this. Propane is the most uh, widely shipped commodity through the Panama Canal right now. Uh, propane is very often easily shipped. Uh, and then so now, by the way, Africa has the ability. If you want, we want to have a little bit more worldwide conversation. Propane is found in other places. Africa is a place that has some propane. Um, in my career, I bought quite a bit of propane from Africa back to the U.S. Uh, so so it, they're, they're not wholly dependent on American propane. But today, I can assure you, ships are leaving Houston and other ports around this country headed for Africa, Asia, uh, and uh, South America for sure, and, and Europe. It's too bad you can't power those ships that are hauling the propane with propane. Well, let me just stop you. <laughs> we go. Five years ago, five years ago, I said that's a crazy idea. Today, 140 ships on the water <laughs> are go. powered by propane. And so, again, it, that was that was almost a fool's errand five years ago as we thought about it. I would have said to you in a radio interview that that was not going to be the fuel of choice for shipping. Shipping had to do something. And they had to get away from this heavy bunker that they burned, horribly dirty. Talk about four miles yeah. per gallon. But today we're seeing most of these LPG carriers are migrating to being fueled by propane. Uh, it's a really exciting transformation and one that I love talking about with in the ports around America, right? In Houston, Galveston, I could name them. You know, I could dance all around from Seattle all the way around back up to Boston about how we clean the air in and around the port. And certainly propane has a large role in that, not only from the ships, but also from the material in the ports. I mean, really, you could have a, a ship that goes to port that is powered by propane, and then the forklifts that are driving around the lot powered by propane, uh, and then the fleet trucks that show up to haul the goods and, uh, uh, that they, they put in those containers with propane into a delivery truck that goes to your house delivered uh, that's all powered by propane. That is exactly the system that we envision working to be best for the American consumer, best for those of us who breathe the air in and around those ports. And as the conversation really goes to environmental justice, we really feel strongly about it because we can do it today and we can do it at a cost savings to the traditional method. By the way, if you go with me to the port of Long Beach, you go with me to the port of Newark, you would see parts of that playing out right now. You would see forklifts that operate on propane in lieu of diesel. The port tractors operating on propane in lieu of diesel. 
Um, and so we're, we're beginning to make baby strides. But to your point, that system is exactly the system that we think we can we aspire to. And not because we sell propane. To be honest, it's really it has very it has very little to do with how we it has everything to do with thinking about the energy transformation. How do we get to a cleaner climate as fast and as cost affordable as we can? That's how we're going to do it. Tucker, if I'm going with you to the uh, port in Long Beach there, I'm actually going to have you drop me off at the cruise ship. Uh, rather, <laughs> I, I, I love the cruise boat, so I, I'd rather get on the cruise boat, even though I think being on a on one of the cargo ships would be really cool going, going from one side of the, of the world to the other. I, was, I, I would love to take you there because one of the other things you would see is this really exciting barge that people don't think about, you know, the kind of the dirty underbelly of all this. But as ships come in, A, they can't run on shore power because there's not enough adequate shore power for these ships. So we, we're using propane powered generators, but also now we're using a propane powered barge to clean the scrubbers of these older diesel ships. Uh, and it's amazing. The last thing, let me just tell you, you and I could travel around this country and you'd see propane powering EV charging. So fleets that are currently have made a migration to battery electric vehicles, but they don't have adequate infrastructure. And the electric company says, I won't be there this year. I might not be there next year. It could be two or three years. And so we're working with quite a few people. Austin, Texas comes right to mind that the backbone for the EV charging network is actually powered by propane power generators. Interesting. Interesting. My, my guest is Tucker Perkins, president and CEO of the Propane Education and Research Council, also host of the Path to Zero podcast. Your pa your podcast, uh, obviously, as we talked a little bit earlier, it, it means that you're working for the Path to Zero. De describe more about the show and, and what we would hear and uh, where we can tune in. Yeah, we've been at it now for really over three years. And it's not about the benefits of propane. It almost has, not, in fact, some of our speakers, you know, have a completely different view of using propane. It's really about the energy transformation. And so we'll talk with some of the best uh, climate uh, meteorologists about, you know, really what does climate science say? I've had two or three guests fascinating as we think about carbon storage and what's going on with the carbons in the ocean and how do clouds impact this science. Uh, and then a lot of it's around technology, right? I'm thinking as you're talking about people that we've talked about ships, uh, what should power ships and, you know, what does technology mean? Just thinking about a recent guest about uh, hybrid vehicles. And this guest, one of the storied, most storied mechanical engineers, I think in the world, talking about his vision should be uh, hybrid propane vehicles, right? And so, uh, you, you can listen to Path to Zero wherever you get your podcast. Uh, we've just uh, put something like episode 105 oh. into you know the can there. But it's been it's fascinating as we talk with experts in their field. Two or three times we've talked about environmental justice uh, with people that have just opened up our eyes and frankly help us as we really are thinking about what do we need to be doing to innovate not for 2023. I feel very good about where we are for 2023. But where do we think batteries will be in 2040? Where will electric grid be in 2050? And how, if anything, do we fit in? It's it's It has been an amazing journey. And very few people get such an upfront seat as I've gotten to understand how electric needs to transform and how 
diesel needs to transform and how energies like propane or natural gas. You know, everybody talks about we got to get rid of fossil fuels. I would argue low carbon fossil fuels like propane and natural gas, strong seat at the table in 2023. In fact, particularly in, as Americans, we should be promoting more and more electric, uh, excuse me, propane and natural gas options because they're cleaner than electricity in almost every state. Well, that that won't be relevant in 2040, 2050. So Path to Zero has given us a great opportunity to understand climate science and carbon and technology and environmental justice and bring it all together. Yeah, interesting. That, that's what this show has done for me, be able to talk to folks like you who are so knowledgeable in their field, who have been doing it for so long and have a passion for it. So it's been a real pleasure, Tucker, to, uh, to pick your brain and, and to learn more about propane, a lot more than I ever knew. Well, let me just compliment you on your questions and uh, kind of your logic, because I think if everyone had the questioning views that you have, we would we would be getting to a cleaner climate and faster at it. And so I, I've, I've loved this time and thank you very much. No, it was really my pleasure. And I learned a whole lot about propane and the uses of propane and all the things that it can power that, that I I had no clue about. So it was it was really interesting for me to learn about all of these uh, different uh, ways to use propane. And uh, I didn't realize either that it's going to be one of the uh, major fuels in the mix of maybe hybrid vehicles and right up there with natural gas and uh, with uh, battery powered electric and, and, and with gasoline and diesel and, and how it is really in the mix and and how it's uh, a fuel of the future, I suppose. Um, so I, I thought that was all really interesting stuff. Uh, by the way, Tucker kept saying uh, 2023 several times. I didn't I didn't want to interrupt him and, and correct him that it was actually 2024. Um, it, it's kind of like writing your check. You're still going to write your check 2023. Uh, for those of you who still write checks, uh, you're still writing 2023 for the first few weeks into the new year. Uh, so I, so even though we kept saying 2023 is 2024, uh, but anyway, I, I appreciated Tucker and, and all of his info and, and all of his, uh, uh, expertise. It was really, I, I thought a pretty interesting conversation, by the way, if you want to learn more about, uh, the propane education and research council, uh, their website, it's easy. It's propane.com. <laughs> so it's it's pretty simple to find them if you just uh, search propane.com. Uh, uh, and his uh, podcast called Path to Zero, you can get it just like you can this show on just about any podcast app. And then listen to it. And he really does have some interesting guests, as he as he mentioned. Um, pretty technical stuff if you want to listen to that. Uh, but give it, give it, give it a try, and and report back to me and see what you think. Speaking of podcasts, uh, I was invited. It, it, long story short, or a short story long, uh, I was contacted through my general manager, uh, who hooked me up with this guy who does this podcast. It, it's called CityCast Denver, and they do. I, it's, I think it's a daily podcast where they talk about different things, aspects of of life and ha and happenings that is happening in the city of Denver. Uh, fine and good. Well, he he asked me. Uh, this guy asked me if I would, uh, if I could do a segment on his show and talk about what is the worst intersection in Denver, and and I said, well, th there's a lot to that. I mean, when when we're talking, what's the metrics here? What are we talking? Uh, worst intersection as in the, the number of crashes, or is it most confusing? 
Um, is, is it the worst for pedestrians trying to cross the street and maybe getting hit or killed? Um, is it, uh, the one that's the busiest? Uh, it's, is it, you know, what, what is your metric for worst intersection? And, and, and he, I think we were talking a little bit about, cause inter, some intersections, they might have a lot of crashes, but one might be more confusing. And I said, look, we could, we could do the crash thing. But I, I, I would have to get to Denver police and, and they release some of that information if you request it about which intersections have the most crashes. But I, I never take that at face value. I would have to go and look at actually the data and the research. And that that is a monster in itself um, because I, I as a journalist, I, I just don't take what they give me and say, OK, sounds good. I, I would have to look at the data. Uh, and that's just too much of a, of a monster for me to do for a project like this. I, really, even for me writing a news story, it's it's a monster project. So anyway, uh, I, I told I told this guy, I said, why why don't you uh, on one of your episodes ask your listeners what they think is the worst intersection, and then they can come up with their own idea of what their worst intersection is, and then you can send those answers or those questions to me. And um, or their answers and the questions, I guess, to me, and then I can uh, comment on them. And and so that's what he did. So that happened. And then here at the beginning of the year, like uh, on the on the second day of January, he he sends me the list of the uh, listener generated bad or worst intersections. And there were I don't know five or six. And so I, I, he, he said, Hey, maybe we can, con- we can talk about these, uh, in, in sometime in mid January. I said, sure. Uh, and here is the reason why this one is bad or, or here's the interesting part of this intersection. And, and this one is, 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 there's a solution to this problem that happens at this intersection. And, and so that, that's what I was, I, I gave him a whole list of, of things from the list that he gave me, basically an answer of the, of the questions that he gave me from the listeners. And I said, sure, you know, just let me know when, when you would want to do something. And then crickets. <laughs> it's been like two weeks, and I I haven't heard anything. Uh, not I don't think he's ghosting me, but um, anyway, there there's that. <laughs> so I might be on a CityCast Denver uh, a podcast talking about some different intersections around Metro Denver, but we'll see. Uh, <laughs> if it doesn't work out there, then I'll do the list right here on this fine program <laughs> yeah, but it's very denver centric and i know i have a lot of listeners that are outside of uh denver and outside of the state and and across the country so it would be very denver centric so uh, maybe i should do a disclaimer when i do that maybe in the next week or two uh, <laughs> uh that hey this is going to be if you if you're interested in these denver intersections uh then feel free to listen but otherwise uh <laughs> just go ahead and skip a couple of uh, seconds ahead Anyway, there you go. Uh, thanks again to uh, Tucker for being a, here on the show. Uh, and uh, thank you for listening and being a part of it as well. If you need to contact me, you sure can on any of the contact links in the description of this fine show. Thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. And until next time, I'm Jason Luber, the Traffic Guy. Be safe and, as always, happy motoring.